Hi, I'm Sean. I'm Renee. This is Hope in Crisis, a new podcast series about rights and democracy and how technology can enable or disable it. Listen to Hope in Crisis on Apple Podcasts or wherever you like to listen to your podcast. Right, so we have a guest with us today. It's the first um, attempt for all of us. Yeah, we've never had any guests with us at this podcast. It's always the two of us talking. So we're really happy to have some new insight, new stimulation. Yeah. So Xiaowei, thank you for coming. Sure. Hi, hi, hi everybody. <laughs> I'm very excited to, to be here. He's already very excited. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. <laughs> so um, we we looked a lot of kind of. Your past, what you've worked on—it's mm-hmm. amazing. Yeah, I mean, maybe you could just kind of tell us a little bit about you, like tell us your story. Yeah, um, it's kind of complicated because the uh, the winding road that I took. We so, have time. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> yeah, so I, I was born and grew up in in Taiwan. Um, so when I was seventeen, um, in high school, I, I I decided to study abroad in the U.S. So I uh, by myself. So I went to the U.S. and I uh, studied in high school, and then. Got into uh, UCLA, studied physics and mathematics, and then. Uh, Can I slow you down for a second? Sure. So, what made you want to go to the U.S.? Yeah. Um, and what are you didn't like about Taiwan's education? <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's a, the, where the long story comes in, right? So, yeah, number one, I I really wanted to be a scientist. I wanted to be a physicist. Um, but back then in Taiwan, um, probably even. Now, Did you know you wanted to be a science scientist from a young age, or yeah? Because when I just got into high school, I, I got really interested in in, in physics. Mm. But the thing is, I I couldn't get a good grade in physics in Taiwan, right? So my my physics grade was terrible. Um, but I, I have strong confidence in myself, right? I know this is what I want to do. I know I can do well. So it's it's not my problem. So it's got to be the system's problem, right? So I looked into, um, you know, physics education. That's a cool attitude. (laughs) There you go. Yeah. Yeah, So where did um, you get that mindset and confidence? Because I I like solve problems. I like solving problems, right? So um, and also the 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 education here is just um just make you cram you know formulas. There's nothing intuitive about you know. Physics, they don't teach you any reasoning and logic behind. Just make you memorize tons and tons of formula and problem-solving patterns, right? So I, I knew that's not what I was into. And uh, by by luck, I had a best friend who uh, who went to U.S. before me, a year before me, uh, um, and I visited him during the summer vacation, oh. right? So I, that's why I got to see, you know, a different environment, different people, different educational systems and materials. Where in the U.S. was he? Uh, he was in Seattle. You went to Seattle? Yeah, yeah. Uh. So that's when I first, and, and also in, in... Was this your first time? Very like, first time, yes. What was yeah. that like? Uh, it's eye-opening. Because uh, yeah. in high school, I, I got into uh, uh, rock music. So I, I, oh. I, went to, I went to Sla Fuzong, right? So we have this uh, club, guitar club, guitar. So it's very famous. Our school has got the best musicians. For example, Wu Yuetian, Mayday, uh, stem from our school. Um, so I was one of the guitar players. I play hard rock. And going to U.S. is like the Mecca. Oh, and Seattle, like that yeah. was the Mecca, right? <laughs> exactly. I didn't, I didn't know. I didn't know anything. Any oh. I just know this is a place, wow, that uh, you have tons of guitar stores. Like, did you know about like Nirvana? Was that the time where yeah. you yeah, uh, yeah, this yeah, kind yeah. of rock? or? Yeah, I, I was into Nirvana um, or Ozzy Osbourne, okay, that, kind okay. of, oh. that kind of music. So uh, so I went. I but you didn't ride. choose Seattle. You chose L.A. 
yeah, because my friend went to Seattle before, so I visited him. But but yeah. then when I got back to Taiwan, I, I thought, oh, this that's where I, I have to go. I mm. have to go there. So so as then long story short, I, I was uh, in a boarding school in Vermont. Well, oh. <laughs> don't ask me nice why. That, that, so from high school to a boarding yeah, school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. From high school to a boarding school in Vermont and then uh, college in, in LA. So I, I was all over the place. Mm -hmm. um, but then I finally got to study physics and also mathematics. And then um, and after college, I, I, I still very you know interested. So I applied to a PhD program. I got into uh, Stony Brook um, on Long Island, New York. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's that's all, yeah. Right. So I, st I spent five years there and almost finished my degree, but but you know a lot of things happens. You know, financial crash and all that. So I ended up didn't just get my degree. So I I passed my dis dissertation, but I didn't finish the the thesis and all that jazz. So so I left school and then I went into uh, kind of like financial markets, do some quant stuff. And then finally settled down on software engineer, engineering, and then startups, and yeah, and got into um, you know NGOs with my uh, project on uh, Taiwan National Treasure, where we uh, go into the U.S. National Archives and help digitize the documents related to Taiwan's past. And that's that project really uh, got me to the front page of uh, Taiwanese media, right? So I got featured in the. Uh, headlines of uh, Liberty Times back in 2017. Can you explain what is this project? Right. So um, so the project is, uh, is it, it's an online archive of all the Taiwanese, you know, documents, you know, unclassified, declassified documents from the U.S. National Archives in Washington, D.C. So if you understand oh. the, the Taiwan's past, the U.S. and Taiwan or Republic of China has a very long and you know, complicated history, right? So they have a lot of documents sending back and forth, dating back to uh, 18, 1880. So that's when the U.S. first had the, uh, a consulate in Taiwan, back when Taiwan was a colony of, uh, of Japan. So uh, so once you have a consulate or an embassy, then you have these uh, documents back and forth with the Washington, D.C., right? So they archived that. And after 30 years, they declassified that. So everybody get, get to go in the archive and see and then take pictures and print it and take, take, take it away, take, take, take it to your home. And just to make sure I'm following. So yeah. these were American archives. Yes. So all English. Yes, yes. And you as a Taiwanese person, like yeah. you were interested. I mean, but how did you get interested in this? Like what were you, what were you trying to do? Yeah, because it's uh, uh, How did you even know about it? Yeah, that, 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 that's the story, right? So there's one scholar from Taiwan. He was contracted to go into archive and then find some, you know, do some research. And then he, uh, when, when, when he was having dinner with uh, some of the local Taiwanese students, he told us about the story about, do you know there's a thousand, millions of millions of Taiwanese documents in the U.S. archive? Nobody knew about that. So we were instantly very interested because... Yeah. Yeah, because it's like... What, what is in there? I mean, is it something that we, we don't know? Is it some story that we don't know? So uh, so I immediately organized a group and then go in there and then just go through the documents. And they are amazing. I mean, they talk about issues from a perspective that the Taiwanese people have never known before. Because the history we got from our schools, 
are taught by you know governments that came from China. So they taught us, especially me, my generation, the history lessons I learned is Chinese history.、Mm-hmm. Right? I, I was taught I was a decent descendant of Chinese immigrants, and we have five thousand years of history and so on and so forth. But from the archives perspective, we see that the U.S. is actually looking at Taiwan in a totally different perspective. What was the, the most surprising part they've seen? Yeah, we see that.、Um, for example,、um, very surprising part is when, for example, just take the example of、uh, when the U.S. severing diplomatic relations with Taiwan back in 1979.、Um, so I get to see the documents documenting all that chaos, right? So the Deputy State Secretary of State visiting Taiwan, and his car got you know mobbed.、Uh, there's a mob that's throwing eggs on his car, and then so they are documenting what、well, there's a chaos scene in Taiwan. Everybody was panicking and all that,、um, and they document that why the negoti- negotiations between the ROC officials and the U.S. officials about breaking off, right? And it's just amazing to see the the, the very firsthand. You know, raw materials documenting all this that we were never taught. So,、uh, so we, once when we were kid, we were taught that the the U.S. was you know is cheating behind our backs. Abandoned they, they, yeah, Taiwan, yeah, abandoned yeah. Taiwan, right? <laughs> so they established、oh, really? yeah established relationship. <laughs> I don't know the this world left、right. us. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but it's it's not like that, right? So they they have a there were in, struggles、yeah. and then there was tension, but it was all left unsaid in textbooks. Yeah,、oh. yeah, yeah. yeah. So the perspective is very fresh, and then、um, so that's why I know. Oh, there's a gold mine here. We, But can we, I just dig into this、yeah. for a second because I don't know this stuff.、Okay. So from a Taiwanese perspective, like what are you taught that happened? Oh, you mean in in high, in schools? Well, like the relationship、yeah. between America and Taiwan. Yeah. Like what happened during that time period? Well, you can、yeah. you can tell him your version because I I, I, ma- I major in political <laughs> science so I I was given、yeah. more information about this and maybe I'm older so my my <laughs> my、uh, my education was a bit more traditional so just take example of the the UN the、yeah. ROC exiting UN we were told that、um, because UN was allowing the Republic People's Republic of China to to join. And then our president Chiang Kai Shek said, "Hanze bu liang li," which means、uh, we are not going to coexist with the with, with the rebels.、Mm-hmm. So we we left. It's like very righteous, right、mm-hmm. tone, right.、Mm-hmm. But then you, if you go look at the archives, you know that actually the UN or the US was offering Taiwan to exist as a country called Taiwan. But、oh. but but the KMT government, the 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 the, the Chinese, the coming from China, they don't want to exist as Taiwan. They want to be called as Republic of China, so they refuse to continue their existence as Taiwan.、Oh, they have to fight to be the China, the the right China, the only China. So that's why、um, when the People's Republic of China come onto the world scene,、um, Taiwan or ROC will just you know. Get less and less pushed to the corners, and then, then you see today there's a one China policy and all that and all that crap. We have to live with、uh, Chinese Taipei and all that. So that's all part of the history, and and you don't get to see that viewpoint if you don't go into the archive and look at those firsthand documents. That's fascinating.、Mm. Exactly. And then what did you learn? Oh, like, I, I、yeah. have to fill in some、um, background、yeah. and context. So before 1949,、um, there were two governments in China. One is KMT, Kuomintang, the Chinese Nationalist Party, and then the other one is the China, China, Chinese、uh, Communist Party. They both what we now call PRC, right? 
Yes. Okay. Yes. But at that time, both of them think that they are the、um, right government for the entire China. Okay. So even though KMT lost the civil war and came to Taiwan, they still think that they own China. So I think when I was very very young, or people like five years older than me,、um, in their elementary school textbooks. The map for this country covers the entire China. Oh, right, <laughs> right. So that is why、um, KMT and、uh, Communist Party both think that they are the right and only representative of the entire China, and that is why when the United Nations was considering getting PRC on board, Chiang Kai-shek was so angry. Because I think that if I am here speaking on behalf of the entire China, then who is he? That's why he said "hanze bu liang li." It means that we are the right and we are the authentic representation of China, and they are not. So if you are considering his existence, then you are just overruling our、um, legitimacy.、Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yes, that's a very good way to put it. Yeah. So. So, like, what were these documents like? Were they paper? Were they on microfiche? Were they digitalized already? Like- yeah, I mean, all, all all over the place, right? There, there are definitely there are millions of paper, just、uh, letters, and then official documents, and then even ledgers, all that.、Um, and there's microfilms as well. So, yeah, so we just organized teams, and I'm a software engineer, so I wrote programs. So. Our volunteers can download an app on their phones, so they just pull it up and then start taking pictures, and then our app would automatically send it to our archives and digitize it. So,、um, and so, is this stuff like OCR now? Like, have you done? Yes, it's all natural、okay. language processing on it. Like, is this like、it's、indexable、searchable? now? It's searchable.、Right. Yes, it's it's all that. So we OCR did we、uh, natural language process. We we even send it through Google Translation, and it's all on our archive. But.、Um, But but yeah, but and also it's indexed, it's searchable. So it's uh, if anyone interested can visit nationaltreasure.tw. So that's uh, it, it's been a four years old project right now. So still ongoing. Um, but be- because of pandemic, the archives closed. The f- all federal buildings closed right now. So we we don't get to keep doing our work. But Wait, when you say it's still ongoing, you mean you're still going through these documents? We're still going through. We have about two hundred thousand documents archived right now. But the goal is to get to about fifty million. There's that many. Yes, at at least. So we we a long long way from done. But um, but we, we, it's ongoing.、Uh, uh, sorry, another dumb question. <laughs> so like the U.S. just lets you guys take these documents? Yeah, it's it's, it's open source. It's、right? open. It's it's really open. It's, it's, it's open data. Yeah, it's open domain. So that means that it, it's open, and then if you. Take a picture of it. You own the copyright, so it's yours. You can write books on it. You can publish articles on it. Wow! And and we, as an open source project, we we decide to open source it, so everybody can visit our archives and just use our material. And in fact, some author actually used our material to write a book on、uh, this so-called Xilou Da Chiao, so the Xilou、uh-huh. Bridge in、uh, Yunnan. That so she、uh, she's actually a.、Uh, Daughter of the man who actually was responsible to build the bridge, and then、uh, and because the bridge was financially sponsored by the U.S. government、mm-hmm. back then, when the Taiwan is receiving a lot of U.S. financial aids,、um, so there's a lot of documents documenting the engineering,、uh, the planning, and the building of the bridge. So they 
she from our our archives found a lot of source material and wrote a book on the Shiro Bridge. So we're pretty happy about it. How many people were involved with this archive process? Um, the core team is about five five people. So and you're just volunteers, or um, we we actually found a five hundred one c three organization in the U.S. So we we received donations, uh, um, but yeah. Who was donating? Uh, a lot of Taiwanese Americans, yeah. uh, especially the older generation Taiwanese Americans. Everybody's pretty uh, inspired by by this project. Um, and uh, as I said, when we started do this, we actually got featured on the front page. It's above the fold front page of Liberty Times in 2017, July 2017. So uh, we, we received a lot of attention, and we also got sponsored by uh, Gov Zero. So it's a G0V, it's an organization in Taiwan about civic technologies. Um, but it was four years ago. Right now, it's, uh, yeah, we're still ongoing, but we're not that um, hardly supported right now. But of course. Is there any way to scale up to, and, and to speed up the digitalizing of everything? Yeah, I mean, but it requires a lot of resources, right? Because the thing, there's no magic. We have to organize volunteers to go in there and then take each picture, pic, document, picture of each document by hand. So it it's, uh, um, takes a lot of money and time. So um, so actually, they, they are right now, they are calls, you know, by a lot of, um, you know, people that the government should step in and support us. Um, and of course, we are looking at ways to collaborate with the government right now. But, you know, anytime you involve the government, it's very... Uh, yeah. Lengthy and complex process. So, so we still, you know, just. Uh, but anyway, the, the, because of pandemic, the, the, the archive is closed, so everything's on hold right now. So, just so I get kind of the timing of this right, so mm -hmm. you already left your graduate studies, right? And you were sort of dabbling in. Hey, maybe I should go work for Wall Street. Yeah. Right. And then, were you working at Wall Street then, or? No, Wall Street is just a brief thing. Uh, so I, I weren't. On, on some quant job for like very brief amount of time, but then and I got into software engineering, so I I was working on you know building you know startups like five team startups, mm -hmm. 20, 40 teams, so very small startups. That's why I cut my teeth with my uh, software skills, right? Mm -hmm. So, but then I I I got involved with this uh, national treasure project, and after I got featured on the front page, I realized I need to devote myself full time. Right, because I see. it's a lot of pressure. So, so I quit my like my day job and then got into this um, full time. Wow. And, yeah. So that's 2017, but then 2018 because I, all the attention I received. So in 2018, you know, uh, people in Taiwan start you know recruiting me to come back and then to run in the local elections. So that's why I, I decided that I come back and then go through the campaign of uh, 2018. Of city council um, in Taipei, in Neihu and Nangang. Um, so I, I didn't win; I lost by about three thousand votes. But uh, but but still, I, it's it's a very uh, educational experience. I learned a lot about you know local politics and and politics in general. So um, and that's where I am today. Um, so I'm right now. I can say I'm at the intersection of politics and technology in Taiwan. So on one hand, I help to push more policies on, you know, technology. Uh, for example, like uh, open open parliament uh, and um, open council, like like in local open, you know, council um, policies. And also I still am running my own startup right now. So 
Oh yeah, so a lot of things I'm juggling. Um, last time we talked about open data and open government, and then people didn't believe our um overseas audience didn't believe that there can be an organization like Golf Zero in Taiwan that we can be so open, and then you actually set up Golf Zero New York. Is it mm-hmm. is it a New York branch? For the entire Golf Zero organization, or? yeah, yeah. So it, it's a New York chapter, but but if you look into the Golf Zero structure, you see that they are they are decentralized. So I I, I can't say that it's a formal chapter, but it's okay. just that yeah, because Golf Zero is so decentralized, we just set up an organization and call ourselves Golf Zero New York. But mm-hmm. but we we were you know championing the uh, ideology of you know. Open sourcing, civic participations, and open data. So, um, so let that, and then we hold hackathons like regularly. So uh, that that's why I where I uh, got involved with the uh, you know you know civic participation, got involved with organizing. Um, so that's where I am today. Mm-hmm. So, were you trying to bring the Taiwan? Sort of methodology, the Taiwan technologies into the U.S., or were you trying to recruit? Americans for Taiwan, like what were you thinking there? Actually, both. Yeah, right. Because um, I remember um, in 2016, uh, a lot of uh, engineers in New York and even all over the U.S. were organizing because you know, if you're familiar with, there's a resistance movement. You know, the Occupy Wall Street exactly. stuff. Uh, no, no, it was after that. So it was like oh, kind after of, Trump. After Trump, exactly. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't want okay. to be quite so explicit. That's okay. <laughs> But yeah, a lot of people are Nobody organizing. Nobody can censor us. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I remember vividly that it was quite when the uh, the, the the Muslim ban ca- came in. A lot oh. of people are at the airport being detained and all yeah. that. So a lot of people organized to help them. So so I I, I, I joined the movement and then trying to bring some of God Zero, you know, um, mindset and methodology, just like you said, in, in that movement. Um, and on the other hand, of course, I also organized for Taiwanese issues, right? So. Oh, for example, like you went for Taiwan, and then uh, keep Taiwan free, and all these marches. Um, so yeah, we're doing quite a lot of. Um, it's like uh, when Taiwan is overseas, that's something you just gotta do, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you think people support that? Uh, mm-hmm. Do people in New York support organizations like Gov Zero or concept of open data, open government? Yeah, actually, Gov Zero has gotten quite a uh, quite a bit of a name for itself, right? Because uh, um, there's a very uh, well-known graph. If you um, organize the GitHub contributions on civic societies, civic tech societies, you see the, the commits roughly split into three groups, right? There's a uh, open society, open sound life, uh, open society that's in Europe, and there's a uh, Call for America that's in the US, and in Asia there's Gov Zero, three major groups. So, um, so we're really proud to be, you know. One I didn't of know Gov Zero was that big. Yeah, it was one of the three <laughs> top wow. three. Yeah, that's so, amazing. Yeah, yeah. So Taiwan is so small, but we we actually generated so much energy that we can rival, you know, Europe and, and America. But and yeah, and over the years I've been you know thinking about this because in Taiwan there's just a open culture. Yeah, and if you put it another way, you just say we don't respect intellectual rights, right? We like to share. <laughs> like to share our videos, share our code. <laughs> yeah, so if you... Do you guys, you first. Yeah. Do you guys visit PTT? <laughs> back when I was a student, 
There's a I do, I do. Yeah. But people, do people copy anything there? No, no. I'm just gonna say there's a board there. That's shared board. Yes, it was yes. banned. Everything's open. Yeah, everything. Yeah. People just share. I have a good video. I we share. We have a movie okay. clip. We share. So yeah. uh, Taiwan is a kind of open culture. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that's why uh, Gov Zero borrows the energy from right because mm. we just we, we we don't like to be. Um, we don't like to promote ourselves. We just like to be part of a group, big group, and you, you can see that during the pandemic, right? Taiwan is really stuck together. So I, I think this is something that 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 shows. Uh-huh. Do you think there's any other models that Taiwan does really, really well, and it's worth people in the United States or other countries to take a look at? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, um, right. Just back to the open open data, but sometimes. Um, all these civic, you know, collaborations do not translate into, you know, governmental policies, right? So in government, this is very, still very conservative. And even though our open government has been, has been well known throughout the world, thanks to Audrey Tang, right? Because she's been traveling and promoting Taiwan's accomplishment on this. But still, you know, working in this area, still see, we still have a lot of ways to go. Because the the for example the governmental employees right now they still don't have a good concept of open data right mm-hmm. if you ask them to open something they will just you know give you a file and then not caring about whether it's machine readable and all that good stuff so we're not quite there but um, so in this respect we, when we look into the U S or even the the Europe say Estonia and all that. We, we can see that there's still a lot of ways to go in terms of uh, open data and open oh. yeah open government. So that's something I'm actively working on, for example, in open parliament right now. Yes. Yeah, can you explain? You've used this twice now. So what is open parliament? Right. What problems are you guys trying to solve? Yeah, open parliament is, uh, is part of the open government. So open government means you, um, you open your data and you you promote, you know, participation from 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 people, from citizens, um, and in, and if you put that scene from the government to the parliament, then then there will be open parliament, right? So we, we need to open the parliamentary data, for example, the the bill the the, the bill process, how bills becomes laws, and then how about the the budgets, and then how you know each legislator use their budgets and all that. So. Although our parliament right now is quite transparent, you can turn on a TV and see the live streaming of uh, parliamentary sessions. But um, still, a lot of areas that we, we still need to, you know, for example, when the legislators are voting on bills, you can see on on the TV there's the a yeah the counts right. Mm-hmm. But there's no way I can call an API and get accounts from my from my app if I need to make an app for that, right? So it's still not that open. And we need to yeah, push Yeah, I was going to ask you, so like these these national archives in the U.S., you have these millions and millions of documents, and they could say, yeah, this is open, come get them. Right. But it's not accessible. Right. And so what right. you're really trying to get towards, right, is how do you make government more accessible, yes? Right, right, yeah. So being accessible, being being open, and being uh, transparent, it's all the, you know, the, the core tenets of uh, open mm-hmm. open government and open parliament. So, uh, so I'm 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 a uh, uh, like a active member in open parliament as well as open government. So that's something that we're trying to make sure. Yeah, the Taiwanese government is moving towards is is they number one they understand open data and understand you know 
for example, the, the personal data privacy. So right now, the data protection laws in Taiwan is pretty lacking. It's nothing compared to the Europe, or, yeah, or even the U.S. So, so we're trying to go 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 to that direction and make sure that, you know, because when you have a, a very, you know, a government that that is in touch with the tech community in terms of being open data and 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 being tech being wise in using technologies, then the startups we have a. We will have a good environment, right? Because if if the government, for example, the government is pushing out EIDs, so the electronic IDs, and if they make the ID readers open source, then every startup in Taiwan would be able to interface with the ID system and all the, all the app the way we build. We can skip the authentication process; just use the government's EID. That's so something that will be, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I I know it sounds amazing, but is it a good thing? Because we talk a lot about privacy and security mm -hmm. too, I'm just not sure if it's a good idea mm -hmm. to have our ID or our EID. Well, exactly what does our ID card do? It it's really important. It contains a lot of our personal information, right? Mm -hmm. Then why would I want everyone to be able to read it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that's a good question, and that's a actually a million dollar question in surrounding the EID controversy right now, right? So how do you protect, you know, people's privacies while offering the convenience of, you know, all the digital, you know, features of a, of a modern world? Um, so if we look into the example set by Estonia, so they are the number very advanced, you know, digital government in the world. Um, and I actually just visited there last year and I actually wrote up some of my, 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 um, Thoughts in in, uh, in an article published on the Reporter. So how they do this is they have a system called X Road that is extremely secure, and then they able you to use your EID uh, to get data. For example, you go to a bank, you want to open a, apply for a loan. It just plug in your EID, and then the bank was able to interface through X Road with the, all governmental agencies and get your data. So you don't have to fill in all the forms, right? And also, it's extremely um, secure because they have a system that monitors such data exchanges, so that you can actually check against your record, and you can see that who is having access to your data on what date. So actually, if somebody is looking at your data without your consent, you actually be able to you know pinpoint a date and time and actually prosecute them. There are laws that actually prosecute people for such data breaches. So this is. This infrastructure or the legal foundations are what allows a government to move toward a digital governance system, right? So this is something very advanced, and that is something that I've been advocating Taiwan to actually embark on. So it's something that's very dear to my heart. Yes. For those who don't know, Estonia has e-residency, mm -hmm. uh huh, and we actually have two Estonian residents here with us today. Wow, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Great, yes, yes. Once you apply to be a Estonian e-resident, you can actually open a startup in Estonia, why yeah. Taiwan, right? Yeah. And yeah, yeah before the show, I asked him why he wanted um, Estonian e-residency, and then he said it's fun. <laughs> but it's just cool. now, now that after listening to this, well, we think if it's a great idea, everyone should get there, right? But I think uh, in Taiwan, um, Congress people and government officials should 
get a Estonia e-residency first. So they have this e-ID, and then they have their experience, and then they would know how to access and use their data and how to protect their data mm-hmm. so that they can use this, they can leverage that experience and build Taiwan's digital ID system. Yeah, then that's a great idea. Definitely should uh, more, more of the uh, you know, higher-up people should actually go out of the Taiwanese bubble and see what everybody's doing, right? Yeah, it's, mm-hmm. that's... That's a great suggestion. I'll make sure I tell them. (laughs) (laughs) What do you think uh, needs to change with the foundation law, I guess, of Taiwan for something like this to happen? Like as an outsider, as an American, I always felt Taiwan had a huge chance Mm -hmm. of being something like in Estonia. Right. um, Yeah. I mean, comparing with the U.S., we have something going for us is that we have this uh, system that everybody is registered in in, in some in, in the government's in ledgers, right? The huji. So everybody mm. is required to have a huji. Um, household so registration. Yes, uh-huh. exactly. Household registration. Yeah, can you explain a little bit more about that? Like, I didn't even know about this until <laughs> a couple of years ago, and it was so shocking to me. Yeah, I mean, actually, it's a leftover from the Japanese colonial you know, times, right? Because in Japan, they also have the household registration. You have to register every member of your household with the government. Mm-hmm. So government knows exactly who lives where and then how many children you have. And then, so that, number one, you they can give you subsidies mm-hmm. without you applying for it, right? They know you have a newborn, they, they give you sus- subsidies. And they have you have an elderly at home, they, they, they send social workers to check on them. Um, and also, everybody's automatically registered to vote. So we have a very high turnout and very high voting population. Um, but on the flip side of that, I mean, people is not going to feel comfortable that every that every member of my household is known by the government. So, so there's some privacy issues there. But, but it is what it is with the house household registration system. Um, yeah, but w- with that, it's easy to you know go into the Estonia model is that then everybody's got an ID card because you are registered, so you have an ID card. Um, so it's a unique identification number. And with that, every software engineer knows that if everybody has a unique identification number, then it's very easy to actually, you know, um, track people, data. yeah, connect the data and then share the data. And so that, that, that's, we have the fundamentals, um, in place. It's just that, um, compared with Estonian, Taiwanese people do not trust our governments that much. So why do you think Estonians trust their government? Exactly, right? Because, yeah. So I was there last year and they were all, you know, boasting about how good, you know, their EID, their e-system, the e-governance system, how how great they, they, they are. And it, don't get me wrong, they are great. But one question that lingered in my mind is that how come you guys just trust the government? How come you just trust the system and then get give that? The government, everything. I think you know. the same thing about Taiwan. Like, why do you guys trust your government? <laughs> so there's a spectrum. <laughs> yes, exactly. uh, on the right hand is Estonia, and then yes, on yes, the left, yes. uh, America. Yeah. Yes, you guys are. Uh, <laughs> I was gonna say someone else, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Far, we have far, guns. Yeah. We have like there's drugs. No way. Exactly. Yeah, that that that's because of history, right? I mean, but yeah, because you have a history of a uh, revolution, so you guys naturally tend to, you know, not trust the government. Yeah. And we have a history of being ruled by authoritarian regimes, you know, early days of KMT and all that. Um, so we tend to not trust the government. But and, and in Estonia, the story I heard is that because they 
got in- independent from Russia, and then the early days, the the people, you know, work together. Yeah, work together, and they actually work pretty well together. Yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So, so um, so that's why they they tend to trust you know the government, right? And also, they. They they know how to find the solutions because when they just got into independent, they have to build a nation, right? They have to build a national system registry and all that. And they, but they were so poor, they didn't have money to buy, you know, the IBM, the most advanced systems currently available, right? Um, so they just turned to the technology at hand, which in 1990s is the internet. So they just say, okay, we're just gonna build this ourselves, and then what are Twenty years later, you know they are the most advanced e-governance country in the world. So I mean, you know, kudos to them. But th- this is something that we can really learn something from. Mm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you were talking about laws a few minutes ago, mm-hmm. and then you said that um, Taiwan is not so good. But um, I'm reading and translating a book about ethics. Recently, and then I think there's a huge problem with the U.S. politics or U.S. government, and that's lobbyist. I think I, I have no idea why people tolerate lobbyist because their only purpose is to make sure that interest groups can keep their interests vested, and obviously that's against public good. So. Um, when when it comes to laws, I really think Taiwan is more ahead, far ahead um, from other countries. Not sure if you agree with me, but mm-hmm. <laughs> I think it's it, it may be more difficult for the United States to have open parliament, open Congress, or open mm-hmm. government because all of the lobbyists are working under the table with Congress people and politicians. Does Taiwan have lobbying? Um, that's a really great question and observation, right? Because actually, in U.S., the the lobbyists law or the law regulating lobbyists are actually pretty advanced. So you have to register as a lobbyist, and then you, you, there's a sort of uh, regulation you have to live by. In Taiwan, there's no such law. There's a there's one law, but nobody cares about it. <laughs> Nobody's registered as a lobbyist, but they still lobby anyway. Because actually. Lobbying is not gonna go away, and it's it's not all bad, right? Because if you are a, a group that's advocating for you know fighting against you know violence against women, right? You're gonna lobby for some laws that protect women, and that's lobbying. So you, there may be some companies, tobacco companies or car companies, that lobby the government to to make some regulation. But also there's some NGOs lobbying the government to make Taiwan more just and then more you know better. So um. So not not all lobbyists are, are equal and are equally bad, but so that's why you have to have a law that regulates lob- lobbying. You have to make sure lobbyists register. You have to make sure you know the gift they give to the congressmen or legislators they are registered. So Taiwan's in that respect is pretty lacking. It lags behind U.S. for miles. So so but but you are right. I mean, even with the advanced laws like the U.S. has. Um, Still, some lobbies still go on the table and then do something, you know, very bad. Um, but that 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 is just you know not going to be avoided. So there are bad apples in every, any country. So, so yeah, that's kind of why you want to open the parliament. Is exactly. if you have that opened, that black box is opened, then people can figure it out. Exactly. Exactly. Uh. Yeah. You you hit the right out of park right there. Uh. So exactly, it's because the open parliament is 
is where to make parliaments more transparent, right? So, uh, and then make sure people, you know, can pay more attention and be more accessible to to citizens. Yes. So, can you speak to like where Taiwan is in this open parliament? Process like if you say okay, the beginning is it's completely closed, it's a black box, mm-hmm. and then the other side is you have APIs that anybody can use. Like, I mean, where is Taiwan right now? I I think we are um a little bit more than the, the middle, right? Because oh, wow. Taiwan Parliament has been it's actually by any standard is pretty open already. If you compare it to um Mongolia or Korea's government, what if you compare uh, it to U.S. like uh, Congress uh, or the Senate? Yeah, I mean, the U.S. is not um, is uh, is actually uh, depending on which you know aspect you you compare. But there's a, in in the open parliament, you know, there's an organization that's called Open Parliament E Network, right? So if they, they actually give scores for each parliament, right? So they rate each parliament by their openness. And Taiwan is actually quite 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 advanced. Mm. Um, yeah, it's just some areas that we still need to. Um, Improve on right. For example, like the open APIs. Um, so, in this uh, open parliament process, we actually, you know, make the parliament open a GitHub account. Really? Yes. So, <laughs> so stay tuned for that. Uh, Taiwan government's Taiwan parliament is gonna have a GitHub. Account. What are they gonna put there? They so we we want we want to require we will require them to actually open source from time to time some codes that's not that does not have security risk. So maybe some. You know, open portal mm. codes. Yeah, so it's in the. Uh, and then they'll accept pull requests, or yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, it's gonna it's gonna be fun. So this is something they're working on. So this is whole the a whole open parliament process is working on, right? So we have this so called MSF. So it's multi stake uh, stakeholder forum. So that's all the people from the NGOs, from parliament, uh, legislators, assistant, legislative assistants. And people like me, uh, engineers, come in, and then we sit down and have meetings every two weeks, and then figure out what the top parliament needs to be more open. So that one of the achievement would be a GitHub account. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> that reminds me of something. So in Taiwan, we don't have lobbyists, but um, politicians are um, allowed to take donations. To, to, to take cash money from different organizations, and then that's open. So you'd be able to go to a website and find out um, which Congress people received donations from what company. And then a few mm-hmm. years ago, when people were really concerned with food security, and then they found out that, oh, one big food company that provided polluted food and raw material donated to these and these and these um, Congress people, and what Taiwanese did, what Taiwanese people did was really, really lovely and awesome. Um, people just stopped buying products from those companies. Mm. They're hoping to, you know, um, cost their revenues or try to harm them by using the market, the free market. Mm. So that's something we can think about. So um, lobbyists may be necessary and then um, you cannot avoid politicians taking money from interest groups but as individuals even though you don't trust the government or you don't trust the system there's still something you can do yeah exactly uh, that's a great point 
this idea of being able to like not trust but verify. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this, this is what's good about Bitcoin. That's the purpose of Bitcoin, right? Is you don't have to trust the bank. You can verify that what they say is happening is happening. So this is like your approach to government seems really interesting. You're trying to get in there so people can verify. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting you brought up Bitcoins because when I ran my campaign, I'm the very first candidate who accepted you know cryptocurrency as donations. How, uh, how, how come much? you want to? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't going to say how much. Uh, I wanted to. <laughs> hey, go ahead. Sure, how much is a good question. <laughs> how much? Very, very little. Because yeah. it's just about equivalent of 20,000 20, Taiwan dollars. Yeah, so it's, it's not very bad. yeah, yeah, yeah. Not zero. Not bad. Yeah. yeah, but but but, but I don't have any coins to donate to you. Yeah. <laughs> to begin with, but it was experiment, right? Yeah. I mean, it was a very exciting experiment because we got featured in a lot of um, you know articles, right? Because right now I'm still the only one and first one. Um, but you know, the, it's it's not easy because because there's a lot of regulatory you know hoops you need to jump through, and then they gave us a lot of a hard time. So in the end, we we couldn't even use that money. We have to just oh, really? yeah, we have to buy something and then count it as a physical donation, not as a actually oh, crypto donation. That yeah. sucks. <laughs> what, was the, what was blocking that? What was behind that? It, it, the, the very strict you know campaign donation laws right in Taiwan. So you can donate uh, like money, you mm-hmm. can donate um, goods, but. When we ask the uh, Jian Chao Yuan, you know, the, the control Yuan, the, the audit, uh, the, the auditor, yeah, yeah, the regulating body for these donations, they have no idea. I mean, this is very, what is Bitcoin, uh, right? Yeah. This is virtual. Because yeah. <laughs> one of the things is that we cannot accept foreign donations. Oh, right. So okay. when I say Bitcoin and then it's a, a digital purse, and say, how do you know it's not from a foreign donor, and so on and so forth. So, I, but I just say. But we can accept anybody that drop a thousand dollars on there and, and not give us because if it's under ten thousand dollars, you don't need to give us your names, right? Yeah. You can, yeah. But if anonymous if, yeah, donations, anon- exactly yeah. anonymous donations under ten thousand Taiwan dollars. But if I accept under ten thousand dollars crypto donations, why not? Why, why can't I take it? So I was having some fun, you know, arguing back and forth. Do you but. know any American candidates taking Bitcoin donations? Yeah, there was a couple. Yeah, there was. There was. Something. I forgot. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. But it, 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 that's it was interesting. Yeah, that uh-huh. was interesting. But when when was this? What year? Two thousand eighteen. Yeah. Yeah. What was the regulatory? Like, was Bitcoin? I I know right now in Taiwan, Bitcoin is like kind of legal, but it's not really legal. Like, it's mm. it's in a gray area still. Yeah, I mean. It, it was illegal for a while, right? Yeah, I actually didn't follow that law, but but there's exchange, so I assume it's it's gotta be legal. Yeah, All right. So you can trade with um, these currencies in Taiwan. Okay. So they are legal. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're legal. Yeah. Uh. But yeah, it's, it's you can use it to buy coffee. Yeah. Uh-huh. Or beer. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there was one place I forgot the street. But you could buy ice cream for Bitcoin. Really? Yeah, it was uh, it was really good ice cream. Yes, yeah, it was like the gelato, like the Italian ice cream, the really good stuff. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think this was like 2014. I bought all my friends' ice cream (laughs) in Bitcoin. Now that Bitcoin's probably worth like ten thousand (laughs) dollars. That's some expensive ice cream. But then they stopped taking it because I think it was like 2015 or 16. The government said no more Bitcoin. 
Oh, okay. Yeah, it seems like it's been flipping back and forth quite a bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but uh, since the you know the, the exchange, the Max Coin or an, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, my coin, right? I mean, I think things turn. Yeah. Yeah. It's legit now. That's good. Mm-hmm. I think so. Yeah. So, what do you think the West can learn from Taiwan? Um. In which respect? I mean, a lot. Of just look in the, the open data, open source, or collaboration, mm-hmm. online collaboration. Yeah, I mean, well, I can get a bit more specific. Right, so, right. Um, so you said that Taiwanese don't trust the government, right? Like on my spectrum, like yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, Taiwan <laughs> standards. Yeah. <laughs> so, so my question to you would be. I mean, you're probably going to reject my question, but my question is, uh, why do the Taiwanese trust the government, and what can America do that allows for the rebuilding of this trust in the people? Right. I mean, because um, well, in in America, it's not universal. Universally, that people don't trust the government, right? So there's a divide, and on one side, the people, you know. They don't want to trust government. They think the government is going to come for their guns and all that. But on the other side, people trust government to provide healthcare, to provide, you know, social security, provide, you know, protection. So, I mean, and I'm not going to get into you know the fight between the left and right. But but if you look at Taiwan's example, we we trust、um, the government conditionally, right? And we the the level that we trust the government is dependent upon. The degree of democracy that, that that that's happening in Taiwan, right? So, back in the you know nineteen eighties, nineties, where we enjoy very little democracy, then people don't trust governments. They protest. They they you know they call for reforms and all that. But as the years pr- progressed, I mean, and then people got more and more of their rights. They start to you know pitch in you know their share of responsibilities and then. They start to trust that the government, you know, have their interest. So I think it's a gradual process. It's not. It's not. It's not overnight. So,、um, yeah. well, are are there any lessons that you think that other countries can learn to sort of regain our trust from misinformation? So,、um, you know, you and I both studied science、mm-hmm. and. At least I feel that there's a huge rejection of science in America right now.、Um, I see it a little bit in Europe, but not as strong as in America. And like Taiwan seems to be okay. Like I mean, your CDC person is like a celebrity here right now. Right. Like right. people listen to him. Yes. Whereas you know. <laughs> <laughs> so so what 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 are some tools? What are some practices that you feel Taiwan was able to get right? Um. Things, yeah. If you look at the pandemic response in Taiwan, especially this year, you see that、um, across the political spectrum, people actually come together and then they they actually listen to the government. Of, of course, there's always going to be some fringe conspiracy theories,、um, but people, you know, trust the government is going to take care of them, right? So when government say put on mask, we put on mask.、Um, But things are not so in in, in U.S. in some countries. So,、um, if you want to restore, you know, trust in government, you definitely have to make sure you 
um, actually vote, you know, good people into office, right? So make sure you you trust that people who comes into the office and entrust things they say, and then so when they tell you to do something, you actually are more you know inclined to do it. But do you feel that that the people that were in power in Taiwan they have some different trust in science than say you know America or the West does? Like, is, is there a difference there that you feel, and is there any sort of reason why that's the case that you know of? When you've lived in New York, you lived here. What's the difference to you? Well, um, well, if I have to be honest, I I, <laughs> I have to say that. Um, um, well, I have to point that in U.S. because I see firsthand. Yeah, there's a degrading of you know people's trust in science because of the fundamental beliefs in you know some of the you know religious groups. Mm-hmm. So, unfortunately, we we don't have that in Taiwan, right? Our religious groups, the most influential ones, the Buddhists and then the Taoists, they don't they don't fight with science, uh, fortunately. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> so, like from a societal level, there's nobody that has beef with scientists. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, that's exactly. really interesting. So they don't deny climate change. Yeah. They don't deny the vaccines work. Huh. Yeah. So it's something that 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 is. Taiwan's pretty lucky, about, I think. Yeah, maybe it is just luck, right? I mean, it is just luck, yeah. Or it's just the way that our religions are not, you know, not aggressive. I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or maybe it's just because you know, in our past, the government hasn't prosecuted religions before, so they don't uh, have a need to, you know, mm, fight. Mm. Yeah, that's my point, though. So I, I don't want to pick a fight with the, you know, religious people, but. But yeah, that's why. No, I, I was just curious, like what um, what Taiwan did, such that if a politician says do something that was based in science, mm-hmm. people here are like, oh, well, okay, let's do it. Yeah, yeah. Right. Whereas in America, they're <laughs> like, no. Like, I mean, we, we, I was talking with um, somebody on our team about like the anti-vaxxers and right. flat Earth, and like right. you can go over Google and you can find all of this stuff on YouTube and watch hours and hours and hours of people talking and. You know, giving all of these lectures on why the Earth is flat. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I saw that too. It's crazy. <laughs> it's crazy, but on the other hand, it's not surprising, right? But this you wouldn't know. work in Taiwan. Like, there's no way Taiwanese would accept this, right? Right, right, right. right. I mean, so, people, but, but but what? People respect well-educated people. I, I'm not going to say elite. Uh-huh. I think like 30 years ago, people um, really respect and obey. Um, to elite, they conform to elite. But right mm. now, um, not that much so. Mm. But still, I think uh, education is a luxury. Education is privilege. It's never a basic right mm-hmm. in Taiwan or in other countries. So, um, being able to receive education is a privilege. And then people would think that, oh, you know, when I was little. Um, all of the teachers would say, when you receive better education, you have to think about how to bring uh, public good to the society. You you have to be a good person, and then you have to try to do something nice for everyone. They kind of give you a very high expectation because you are one of the lucky few who can receive better education. So you better think about what you're going to do with all the knowledge earned. Mm. And I think mm-hmm. I think um, in Taiwan we still 
think that oh, since the scientists they're very well educated, and then they know something that we don't know. They know more about the virus. They know more about the vaccines, or they know more about public hygiene. Then um, what? What is the benefit for them if we're killed, or if we're all dead because of this pandemic? Right. Yeah, that's good logic, but I think that that <laughs> logic is based on you trust your government that there is no benefit for you to die.、Mm-hmm. Whereas, like a lot of people in America, we think that the government is gonna. Out, I mean, they're out to get us. Let us, us die. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we have to defend them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, since 2016, I've been you know studying really a lot about you know the backlash against elites and all that and the Trumpism. And yeah, so, yeah, it's very interesting. So, but Taiwan doesn't have this, right? No, I mean, if you look at you know in 2018, you know the the rise of、uh, Hanguoyu, you you can actually see some you know sniffs of that、oh. that movement, right? The backlash、oh. against elites, against establishment,、uh, anti intellectualism, and、mm-hmm. all that. So the, we can draw a lot of parallels there,、mm-hmm. but. Yeah. I know, I know. Okay, so、um, education also contributes to income equality. Okay. Yeah,、uh, when you receive more education or higher education, it's more likely that you become richer or you become better paid. So、um, people do hold hostility against those who are better educated. Even in Taiwan. Yes. Uh-huh. Yes, so I think the the entire philosophy、uh-huh. that Hanguoyu was creating was that those people who are、um, making more money doesn't understand what we what our life is like as a blue collar level worker.、Mm. Uh, he's creating that distance that oh you don't know anything about us you you have no idea what kind of life we're living. You you have no idea. Who was this guy? Sorry, Han Guoyu. Yeah, tell him. <laughs> <laughs> so Han Guoyu is uh he he was a KMT Guomindan you know uh kind of old guard, but then he kind of like faded away for many many years. But then in two twenty eighteen he just surfaced, and then ran a campaign in Kaohsiung that nobody thought he was gonna win. But because Kaohsiung, if you understand, it's it's like a major major stronghold of a.、Uh, A DPP,、mm-hmm. so it's very very green.、Mm-hmm. So Guomindang had traditionally had no chance there, but in 2018, I mean, he just had a message that is very populist. It just echoes with、uh, like everyday people. So people, just like in 2016 with Trump, they they liked him. They liked what he was saying. They liked his demeanors. They liked his、uh, frivolous attitudes toward the establishment. So they gave him a chance, and then.、Mm-hmm. Voted him to the mayor of Gaoshan, so、mm-hmm. that surprised a lot of people.、Um, just like 2016, so yeah, so that that's Hanguoyu. But then,、uh, but then he got too, you know, greedy. He 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 jumped into the 2020 presidential campaign before barely serving two years as a mayor. So so Taiwanese rejected him, thankfully. Yeah. <laughs> but、um, but yeah, but but in his campaign, you can see a lot of parallels with the with with the campaign that. Trump is running, and that's the kind of like a yeah, anti-elite hit elite, and then、um, yeah, that kind of message. Yeah. So it's very interesting. The, the, but but throughout the world, there's a lot of populist uprisings, you know, in Europe, in, in South America, and so it, it, it's probably a trend. So Taiwan has these two parties:、mm-hmm. 
-hmm. America, of course, has two parties. Mm -hmm. And there's been a number of efforts to try to get a third one going in America, and it never really works. Mm -hmm. And um, you were part of a third party? Right. Yes. Can you explain a little bit about this party and how come you were involved with it? Like, what, what did you see in it? Sure. I mean, um, so I was part of uh, the New Power Party. So it was party formed in 2014 after the Sunflower Movement in Taiwan. So Sunflower Movement is, uh, is one of the major student movements um, in Taiwan where a group of students occupied our parliament and forced a retreat of KMT government to sign a major treaty with China. Because right at that time, the KMT-led government was moving very close to China, and then the people rejected that. So after the movement, uh, a lot of people, you know, gathered together and then formed this new power party. So I actually carried the, the mantle of the, the movement, you know, forward. And then, so... Can I slow you for a second? So yeah. can you explain more about, like, this party? Like, what, what was their platform? What did they feel was not being addressed by the existing two parties? And, like, how popular did they get? Yeah, I mean, th so because the Sunflower Movement was mostly championed by young people, mm -hmm. so this party's platform is geared toward young people as well. And then if you understand young people in Taiwan, we feel left left out by both parties, right? Because, well, of course, the, the KMT is the very old party coming, come, coming from China. And also the DPP, although it's more uh, democracy-oriented, it's getting old. The message is getting old. And they are actually on the ideological spectrum. It's more to the right, right? So they... they As they, in kind of conservative, you mean? Right, or? right. It's kind of conservative, especially on social issues, right? Okay. So if you think about young people, we, we, we support gay rights, we support, you know, um, labor rights and all that. Um, so... So when the new power party forms, that naturally the platform, right? So we support, you know, the, the, the same-sex marriage, labor rights, and we support the uh, on the national identity. We we are not calling for Taiwanese independence, but we call it as a normalization of our state. So we don't want to be independent because we feel we're already an independent country. We have our own government, our own army. We don't need to be independent, but we need to normalize. We don't want to be called as ROC, Republic of China anymore. We want to be called as Taiwan. We have our own constitution because right now, right now, our constitution still has jurisdiction over China. Oh. Even Mongolia. Oh, I never knew that. Yeah. So, so that's why we need to normalize that and then get rid of all that. We just want our jurisdiction over Taiwan and Penghu and Jinmenmaju. So that's the normalization part. So that's what the party champions. Um, so if, if two companies wanted to sign a contract together, could they pick jurisdiction of the contract in Mongolia? <laughs> yeah, yeah, they can do that, but it's probably not going to work. <laughs> so this is why that's what a lot of certainties in, in, in the ROC constitution. So a lot of them. So, um, so yeah, that's why this party is very attractive to young people. And I was one of them being very attracted to this party. Uh, and also there's a lot of people with high star powers in the party, right? You have Freddie Lim, you have Huang Guochang, you have Hong Siyong, who, who, uh, basically started a whole movement because she was, you know, championing her brother who, who died in the military yeah. due to abuses. Um, and also you have Cho Zhenzi and then um, a lot of people. So 
they are their image of uh, you know a vibrant, active, just you know they they champion you know for justice, human rights. So yeah, so I I, I was drawn into the party right away. So I was at that time I was still in the, in the New Yorks, but so in 2018, you know the leader of the party Freddie Lim called on me to come back and then join the party and then run for you know city council. I say yes, so that's why I became. What was it about city council that you felt made sense? Well, actually, it, it didn't make sense. I, I know nothing about local politics. Really? I, know, I knew nothing about city councils, but but hey, it's Freddie Lim. If you, I don't know <laughs> how much you know. I don't know anything about him. <laughs> well, uh, Freddie Lim is it's a, a rock, yeah. uh, a metal. It's a metal band. He's a yeah. vocalist of a very prominent international vo- uh, uh, metal band called Thonic. Okay. And then uh, he's got tattoos over his arm okay. and a long hair. But then in twenty sixteen, yeah, um. yeah, and in twenty sixteen, he won a seat in parliament. So his very first rock star in parliament. Oh. I mean, who's not gonna love that? So, I, oh. and I was a fan because if you remember, I, I'm a guitarist. Yeah. I, I was in rock band, so I I knew Thorny in high school. So I was a fan for of. Thorny for like 20 years before he called on me. So, said, so he said, hey, come back and run yeah. for some local <laughs> yeah. city. Yeah. When he called me in my New York apartment to say, can you come back? And then I have his poster hanging on my wall. Really? Oh my God, yes. it's like singing with him on the stage. Yeah, so there's no resistance. I just say, okay, fine, whatever. <laughs> so it's, uh, it is what it is. And I came back and I, I ran. And, but it, it, was a, it was a very fulfilling experience, right? So you said that you... You ultimately didn't win, right? I, yeah, I didn't win because yeah. If you could go back and do it again, yeah, if I could go back, I what would you do differently? I definitely would win because I, I knew nothing about campaigns. I knew nothing about uh, you know. Uh, so I did what I was told to do, but yeah, for example, I didn't even run any polls, right? Because I just thought it didn't. I don't know. I don't trust polls, but actually, polls are very important. So, <laughs> so I mean, I I was very close because I had a had a good platform. I could yeah. Um, but but back then, I had a disadvantage is that I was running against Gao Jiayu. But if you know who she is, she's like the most most popular politician in Taipei. Oh. I mean, when we were running for city council, about we just need about twelve thousand votes. Okay, she got about thirty thousand. Oh wow! And her target audience is about the same as as me, right? So we are young people, and then geeks, you know, engineers. So musicians, yeah, yeah so, <laughs> so she got all my votes, so I lost anyway. <laughs> but that's not the real reason. But anyway, I, I, I if I could do it again, I'd probably. So this, this Freddie guy must have really thought a lot of you because he put you up against this woman who's like super kick ass. Huh? <laughs> well, well, now because this woman is running in the same district, that's why she couldn't. Uh, Freddie couldn't pick a girl, right? Because mm. yeah, it wouldn't make sense. So he she, he picked me, but. Still, it's, uh, it's it's hard either way. Mm. Yeah, the district is not not really friendly toward. I mean, uh, yeah, these are like techie district and traditionally uh, very blue, very uh, KMT oriented. So, but yeah, I mean, I still had a good run. I mean, the first timer like me, I got eight thousand plus votes. It's, yeah, it's still it's still something. Yeah, yeah. And if you could do it again, like, what would you change? I could do it again. I would have, um, yeah, I would have, you know, because when I just got into the campaign, I knew nobody. Okay. I didn't even grow up in Nehu and Nangang. I grew up in Da'an and Xinyi. So 
I knew nothing about the district. I knew nobody. So if I could do it again, I, I could make sure I get connected. Build, yeah, get connected and build a, mm. a, a bigger base before I actually, you know, do something. Yes. So this this third party, what's going on with it now? Is it still in existence? Is it still relevant? Oh yeah, that's. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's. Uh, well, I, I, I've yeah. So to update the story, I, I actually left the party last year um, because last year was the presidential campaign, right? So I actually, I, I not only joined the party, I actually won the seat in the in the in a committee in the so-called how do you call that the, the steering committee of the party. So it's the highest decision-making body of the party. So I was one of the members. So we will have to discuss if our party is going to support the president, right, Tsai Ing-wen. Mm-hmm. But then most of the people, they, they, they say no. Right? They, 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 they didn't want to support Tsai Ing-wen so early, right, because they want to keep the distance because, you know, it's a three-way, you know, party. You don't want to get too close with, uh, with another one. But, uh, but to me, the most important thing is, is Taiwan. And Tsai Ing-wen, her vision represents... Uh, a brighter future for Taiwan that's distant from China, all that influence and all that bullying, right? And as opposed to Han Guoyu, uh, the other opponent who is championing, you know, a close relationship with China, even, you know, getting, you know, a lot of economic trades, which kind of jeopardize Taiwan's independence. So, so I was fighting, you know, I was, you know, heatedly debating, you know, within the party that I think we should actually support, you know, the incumbent, the president, but no, that, that that that's not the case. So I just decided, no, I cannot, you know, no longer, you know, be with this party. Yes. Mm. How difficult it is to build a third party in an environment where there are two strong parties. It's extremely difficult. That's why I mean, well, the new power party, this third party, came onto the scene by accident, right? The accident of the sunflower movement. And it's probably not going to happen again. So because of the movement, there's a lot of uh, energy and a lot of uh, resources pulled together to actually form this party. But I don't think that's going to happen again in the near future. So that's why, I mean, um, yeah. So although I feel really bad about, you know, th- this party not not being, you know, more you know Taiwan-centric, but still we still, you know, like to work together. So this right now, although I'm... I'm Officially, you know, partyless, so it's wudang, so it's no party registration. But right now, we're still working on a lot of issues side by side. Are you still interested in politics? Um, tangentially, so I still I still wrote, write a lot of you know articles, you know, for policies and all that, and I still pay attention to politics. Um, but. Uh, not sure if we're gonna run again in the near future. I I may or may not, depending on you know where I need to you know I'm needed or where where things can happen. So, but still, once you get into it, there's just no leaving. Say, <laughs> I see you later. <laughs> I'm go back to tech. So it's probably not gonna happen. So I'm still here. A lot of politicians still come to me for consultations for for advice. So so I'm I'm happy where I am. Yeah. Huh. If you won, what would you want to do in the city council, oh, what yeah. kind of reforms? Yeah, I mean, because when I was running my campaign, I, I had a lot of policies, right? So, but number one is definitely op- open government, open data, right? So I would have made sure that the Taiwan, the Taipei government is pretty open. Um, 
and also I will make sure that you know the the um, the the government has a policy that's friendly to a young people, especially for startups and people who want to create their own business, right? Right now, so so young Taiwanese are very actually in a bind right now. Is that if they work for some major company, they they don't get paid enough. They they receive very little wage for long working hours. But they they cannot leave because the environment to, for them to start their own business is not very friendly at all. So right now, I actually started my own business. I have a software engineering team, teams of engineers building on a platform. But when I go to the bank, they just look at me like I'm a joke. I'm like a small company. They don't want to do business with me. And when I go to uh, some agencies, if they don't know me well, they they just look. Look, look down upon such as you know startups. So Taiwan, you know, has this environment that is not very friendly to young people who want to you know make make their own. So, so if I want my seat in, in city council, I will, I will champion uh, you know the policies that's going to help in this respect. Yes. Is there anything else that that we didn't ask you that you think we should be asking you? I mean, I'm, I'm curious, like, kind of what you're doing now. You're sort of touching on that a bit, but is there anything okay. else that, like, you'd like to share with our listeners? Um, let's see. I think everything is, uh, but, um, yeah, just I say, I, I'm also um, uh, running my own business. We're building a, a software engineer, a software platform Although we are in stealth mode, okay. so we cannot. I was going to ask you <laughs> <laughs> what does he do. <laughs> but still, any engineers who uh, you know need a job is welcome to talk to me. <laughs> so, How should they find you online? Yeah, I can find me on Twitter at Xiao A Taipei. So it's Xiao H S I A O A Taipei, uh, or on Facebook Xiao Xin Xiao, or I have a Facebook page Xiao Xin Sun. So just uh, what find kind me of engineers are you looking for? Software engineers, so front end, back end, or even yeah, or even cloud engineers, yeah. Is remote okay? Remote is yeah, mostly okay, but okay, yeah, yeah, because we have a lot of listeners that not in Taiwan. Oh, uh huh. I don't know if I could afford yeah. <laughs> overseas <laughs> wage, but uh, yeah, we definitely we should talk. Yeah, thank you for the opportunity <laughs> to get the message out. Yeah, I wish you the best of luck. I mean, I think this stuff, like your your journey. Of trying to figure out how to make government a more open, participatory thing is really is really admirable. Thank you, thank yeah. you. Yeah, it's something um, that because since I'm back, I might you know make the most out of it, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So thank you, guys. Great. Thanks okay. for coming. All right. See ya. <laughs>